Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black Mike podcast. It's the Monday show. The international break may be here, but we're still not finished talking about Newcastle United. And thankfully, this afternoon I've been joined by Newcastle fans TV, Sam Mullen, to talk all about that game with West Ham on Sunday. 2-2 draw at the London Stadium. A good result, I think, on reflection. A very, very odd game, a very topsy-turvy game. Maybe a little bit of a hangover from Wednesday night. Sam, we've just been talking... Uh, before coming on air about that game and how you know it still sort of feels like it hasn't really sunk in from Wednesday night. No, it hasn't sunk in from Wednesday night. Um, I've watched the highlights back a, a lot um, <laughs> because, like, obviously we were both there Wednesday, and it was almost like an out of body experience in some parts. I mean, it it, it was a really like in a positive way just a feeling that's just just so unknown and and i just can't really describe it like i couldn't even celebrate the third and fourth goal because i'm just stood in the leases like that going what is what is what is this filth um but yeah I, I, like you say a hangover um yesterday with that and yes you are right but um, for a very specific reason, I feel, and I, I, I like it's it's a sort of an easy throwaway comment to make, but there is there is some reasoning behind it. And, and, what, and what do you think that is? I mean, you know, I have seen a lot of people refer to it as a hangover. You know, maybe I think even for some fans yesterday. I mean, I saw one fan on Twitter saying that they weren't really bothered what the result was yesterday because they were still so, you know thinking about Wednesday night, thinking about what happened in the Champions League, it was as if yesterday didn't really matter. I think for the players, maybe you're looking at it thinking they're probably just wanting this break to come after such a run of games in a short period of time. What do you think it is? What What are you putting it down in? I think a large part of that, look, we know the injuries that we've got, which is terrible and would affect any squad, the quality that we're missing. And to get the results we've got during that time is such a testament to the squad and the manager. But I feel the, the the word hangover or whatever could be used because of the intensity that we play at. Um, look, West Ham played a day later than us. Very, very similar side. They don't make many changes to their starting eleven. Um, so, yes, you can say it's the same for both sides. However, not many t- teams play with the intensity levels that we do. Um, not many teams can cope with it. And when West Ham kind of got that goal that was sort of against the run of play, but mainly because we had so much of the ball but didn't do a fat lot with it, especially in the first half, it was a bit of a a frustrating watch, a a difficult watch at times, then that's where the hangover comes into it because with not having the luxury of rotating as much as we'd like, like one change from PSG and that was forced because of Mm -hmm. Anthony Gordon's suspension and Again, you can say how much we missed him yesterday, because that's the that's the intensity he now brings. He, he, uh, with uh, with Anthony Gordon, it feels like he's a, a new signing from the summer, not from January, because of just the the shift in performance levels he's had um, since the start of the season. Um, and he's proved me wrong. I like to toot my own horn when I'm right about Isaac and whatnot. But my word, I'm so glad I've been proved wrong about Anthony Gordon. Um, what a, what a lad, what a guy. Um, but yeah, that, that's where the hangover element comes into it. And I, I remember speaking about um, 
asking about this um, with Sebastian Bassong on our podcast. Um, obviously, he played Champions League, not with Newcastle, but with Spurs. Um, and I remember asking him, you know, how much of a difference does it actually make this, this you know, midweek weekend every single week? How much of a difference does it make? Um, do, you, do, you, do the players really feel that fatigued? Um, and I'll paraphrase his reply, but he says it, it, it's not as much as you would think, but it sometimes takes a while. It sometimes takes 20, 25 minutes just to, just to get going again, um, just, to, just to help settle the achy legs and whatnot. Um, and you, know, you could kind of see that the intensity wasn't really there at all in the first half yesterday, was it? Um, West Ham went very defensive when they got their noses in front. Um, but look, when we got into it and the intensity levels, I, th- I think Eddie Howe wasn't overly pleased. I kind of, I don't know what you felt, Aaron, um, especially like listening to him afterwards. I don't think he was overly thrilled with the first half. I don't know whether the the, the team would have had uh, some choice words at half time. Um, but the intensity levels definitely increased second half, and and in the end, we were unfortunate not to see the game out with three points. But I still think. This is obviously a much changed West Ham from the one that we beat 5-1 towards the end of last season. And like Tottenham losing Harry Kane, they've lost Declan Rice. And as an all-round squad, they've improved. And you can see that with their start to the uh, league campaign. Yeah, it, it was interesting, the, the first half for me, because as, as somebody, Ian, has just wrote in the comments here, it didn't help that they were playing 8-1-1. And it was a very, very defensive performance from West Ham. You know, they didn't want too much of the ball. They were happy for Newcastle United to, to sort of dominate possession. But in that first half, you felt like, you know, there was nothing they could do with it. You had Alexander Isak dropping so deep to come and pick up the ball. You had then had, you know, Elliot Anderson and Miguel Arbor not really making much of them. It, it screamed out to me that they were missing Anthony Gordon. I think, you know, his, his as you mentioned, his off-the-work rate has become so crucial to this team, but also what he's now doing in terms of driving the team forward. I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but since we're talking about it now, you know, anybody that listens to this podcast knows that every week me and Andrew have the same debate about whether we need a, you know, another attacking option. Andrew is adamant that they need a third choice striker and he's adamant that they need a little bit more on attack. I am still of the you know, opinion that they've got enough. I think they've just been very, very unlucky with injuries. When you look at that team now, and I know they've been hit with, you know, sort of a freak amount of injuries, Barnes, Gordon suspended, Wilson out. Do they have enough, or is the fact that they're playing Elliot Anson through the middle yesterday, you know, maybe an argument that Andrew's right? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, um, I like Elliot Anderson, and and the fact that I'm going to criticise him a little bit now, just a little bit, is, is a testament to him, really, because when he's played Premier League and when he's played Champions League, he has not looked out of place. Um, and he's he's definitely here for the long run. He's definitely going to continue to develop. But I don't think yesterday was was a game for him, and I, I don't think he had a very particularly good game. Um, shouldn't be in. Shouldn't have played in the middle. No, that that that's Isak's territory, as we saw in the second half. I thought it just looked all a bit messy. And and you think Gordon is the third choice striker option, really? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Wilson has such a fantastic record against West Ham and he could only really do ten minutes again doesn't help. And we've not even spoke about Joe Linton and Joe Willock yet. Mm-hmm. So so for for them injuries too. Um, it, it is a freak amount of injuries, but like. Like we've said before, the strength and depth element is obviously just such an ongoing thing 
that it can't happen. It can't happen. We can't have it all. Um, the sale of St. Maximin um, was kind of necessary to oversee new incomings. I didn't want to lose him. I still don't want to lose him. There's still been a couple of times this season where I think, oh, I'd like to have seen Maxi just mm-hmm. see what he can do there, even if it would have resulted in absolute naff all. <laughs> um, but still, um, yeah, we haven't seen what Barnes can do yet, really, because just a freak injury that just so unlucky for the lad. Um, Botman as well. We we haven't missed him as much as maybe we should. Um, if you'd have said we'd have beat Man City with Dummett and Lascelles, and then Lascelles PSG as well, mm-hmm. um, with them playing a four-two-four, which was just utterly thick from Luis Enrique, um, then you know I'd have said you were on something illegal. But what we can't also detract from is since the last international break how positive and how fantastic and these run of results have been. I don't think that's a bad point at West Ham at all yesterday. Um, I kind of look and compare results from last season and um, the first game back Palace is huge because we only got a point against them at home last season. VAR controversy. Should that game have been replayed? Mm. Um, but look, we're, we're, we're still on a pretty good track. I know we've dropped a, few, a, a point at Brighton from last season and obviously two points dropped, but you know we drew at home to West Ham. Can we beat them at home? We should do. And another point to make as well, teams are going to be defensive against us a lot more than what we're used to now, because otherwise you get what happened at Sheffield United, you get what happened at PSG coming to, come to St. James's Park or coming to play against us, being so open is not going to get you very far. Otherwise, you'll get pulled apart as, as you know, Sheffield United, who are, in essence, still a very much a championship team. And even Europe's elite in Paris Saint-Germain have found out. So it's one of them ones where we're going to get it at St. James's, where they're going to try and frustrate us. And um, we're going to have to get used to keeping up their intensity levels, even even when it's going to be difficult to, um, to, to, to try and break teams down. Yeah, I think, as you said, I mean, the, the one that sticks out for me last season was Brighton at home towards the end of the season where Brighton just tried to come at Newcastle and this very good Deserby team were just absolutely playing off the park. And I think that's something that Newcastle are, it's maybe the only thing that they haven't learned to do under Eddie Howe properly is, you know, really impress against teams that sit with that really low block. And I think that's something going forward they will need to certainly learn, you know, how to do. Just talking again then about the about the first West Ham goal, it came a, a little bit against the run of play. As I said, Newcastle had so much possession and it was just a little defensive lapse. Um, some very good football by West Ham and, and they were in for 1-0. A lot of criticism aimed at Nick Pope for his positioning, for his role in the goal. Um, as you would imagine, the short nature, you know, the reactionary nature of football um, saw him getting a lot of pelters on social media. We've got the mighty win here in the comments saying, Pope wobbles again, same as PSG. Do I stay or do I go? It's time to give De Bravo a go. Now, I'm not sure how, you know, how many people will agree with that, that it's time for De Bravo. For me personally, I think Nick Pope, a little bit shaky at the start of the season, Brighton, Liverpool, um, much, much improved since the last national break for me. Yesterday, though, we saw sort of the best and the worst of them, and the worst of them is that position. And what, what, what do you make of yesterday and, and Mighty Wins comment as well? Yeah, I mean, but three days before the West Ham game, we're still all fuming because he's missed out on the England squad again. Mm-hmm. Um, the West Ham's first goal yesterday, yes, it doesn't look great, but it's not all down to Pope. Um, 
to, to put it all on Pope is, is quite a lazy criticism because I think the defensive unit as a whole, you would not in that situation expect your goalkeeper to be on his line straight from from the outset. And I get the incidents you're on about with Pope and, and look, I was as infuriated as anyone, especially towards the end of that PSG game where he just kept kicking the ball out of play on the left-hand side, trying to do the same old thing of trying to hit Dan Byrne. Yes, he's six foot seven, but he's not eight foot ten. Um, I get it, he's not looked as solid as last season, but he's, he's still been fine. I've no real issue um, with, with Nick Pope. Um, th that being said, if these things continue to happen, then obviously more question marks are going to be raised and then it might be something for the, for the club to look at. Um, how old is he now? Is he 31? 31, yeah. So he's still got a good three or four years left at the top for a goalkeeper, really, hasn't he? Um, I don't think it's an area of, that the club will look to strengthen anymore um, in the near future. But look, like you say, there has been an improvement and he, he deserves a bit of loyalty. Like, you know, if, if a right back makes a mistake, it goes out for a throw. If a goalkeeper makes a mistake, you've conceded a goal. You've, you've got to be mad to, to be a goalkeeper. So... Um, I'd, I'd still be inclined to stick with him, but like in reference to that goal, I think the defensive unit as a whole is um, is, uh, is is just as culpable, to be honest. Yeah, we have got someone here in the in the comments, Stephen Harker, saying that he thought it was Lascelles um, at fault, not Pope. Um, you know, Pope's um, decision making aside, there was a couple of contentious moments in that first half. Um, you know, anyone again who listens to the show know that Armstrong likes to have a, a big rant about the referees every week and about VR. And I think this time around it was Newcastle that were very lucky to keep 10 men on the pitch. I mean, Bruno Gomez, what he was thinking for that second challenge after just being booked for a similar one. I mean, very, very lucky to stay on the pitch, wasn't he? Now, don't get me wrong. I love Bruno. Some would say I love Bruno too much. Is that, um, is that even a, is that even possible? Can you love him too much? I mean, if I if if I come home and caught him in bed with the wife, I'd tuck him in and and see if he wanted some socks for his feet if he was cold. Um, but if had I been in a, a parallel universe and I was a West Ham fan, I would have been absolutely livid that he stayed on the pitch yesterday. Um, it was two yellow cards. I, I mean, you can't. It, it just was. Um, I mean, it's fantastic because he delivered that fantastic, and it and it's gone on to, to to directly affect the game because his fantastic pass, one touch from Trippier, and then bang, it's 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 in for Isaac for two one. That's I, I could I could I could really see why um, um, why a lot of West Ham fans and and uh, their team could be very upset. Um, he has that in his locker every now and again, and he does need to to to, to calm down. I, I could really uh, name drop, but on our podcast, when I was speaking to Brit Award winner James Bay, <laughs> he, he he made a fantastic point about Bruno that sometimes, like, because the focus is always kind of on Joe Linton and how much he wants to take on the world and how much of a hothead he is and starting fights in friendlies and 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 all that. But Bruno has that in his locker as well. And sometimes he needs an arm around his shoulder saying, look, calm down. Otherwise, let's not forget, he was sent off in the semi-final of the cup. He was, he has that kind of 
it's silliness more than anything because yeah. he's not he doesn't mean it he's not he's not i don't think he's a, you would call him an aggressive player um but he has that kind of silliness in his locker where he because he's an emotional guy and that's why we all love him so much we love we love the emotion and, and going back to wednesday that was just all emotion all over the pitch um from start to finish um but yeah, that's what he has in his locker and it does need tempering sometimes because he should have seen a red similar to, to Kovacic in the other game yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was very surprised he didn't see a second yellow. Yeah, Who knew Brit Award winner James B would have such a good Newcastle United analysis? He's a huge Newcastle fan. Really? Huge. And he knows his stuff as well. It's uh, Yeah, check out Newcastle Fans TV, Greenwood and Mullen show if you want to hear more from Brit Award winning James Bay. I'm sure people will be jumping straight over there. But I, I completely agree. I was very, very surprised to see Bruno serve a pitch. I think if that was the other foot and it was Paquetta or someone from the West Ham team, You'd be human. It would be so incensed. And I mean, to be if I'm completely honest, it wasn't the only mistake Peter Banks, the referee, made for me. I mean, Emerson got booked for asking for a card for Bruno and then Miggy did it about five minutes later and didn't get a card. And then in the second half, got booked himself. He could have quite easily been off. I've seen a lot of people saying that the foul on Tonali for the goal was very soft. I think on another day, if that had gone against Newcastle, would be would be very very disappointed. But thankfully, yesterday it went in our favour. Now then, we'll move on to the second half, and it gives us a chance to talk about your favourite topic, and that is Alexander Isak. For any of you who don't know um, about Sam's prediction, he was the man who, before anybody else, before Steve Nixon had even started watching Alexander Isak in La Liga, he was calling for Newcastle to sign him. He got his wish and he'd never looked back. I mean, just two very, very simple but cool, calm finishes. I mean, he's doing this more and more often now, isn't he, where he just, he just shows no fear in front of goal, does he, Alexander Isak? No, five goals in five. Um, and I think the the stat of doing the rounds on Twitter last night was only Haaland has scored more than than Isak this season. Um, yeah. yeah, different different kind of goals because we don't really associate him with sort of just tap-ins, do we? Um, but that, again, that's for a striker. You need to have that in your locker. Um, mm. If that was Dwight Gale in the Championship, that, that would just be typical fox-in-the-box striker finish. Um, but yeah... The second goal was absolutely delicious between Bruno, between Trippier, and it was just on a plate for a cool little finish in the corner. Um, it's really great to see, and it's come at such a pivotal, kind of important uh, moment with Wilson being injured, which, of course, we all knew was going to happen at some point during the season. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a case of how long for and how many times. Um, but, yeah, he, he's dug in. He's struggled at times and, and looked a bit isolated this season. Especially at the start, he was not really given the good service, um, and we'd have to he'd have to battle up front and kind of plowing a lone furrow. But you, you can't argue with his goal return at all. Um, as I say, five in five, and with two yesterday, the only goal, the only game recently he hasn't scored in was the PSG one, which um, which worked out okay in the end. So yeah, can't praise him enough. There's still more to come from. And and like the other player, which I'm kind of associated with, with being Tanali as well, which I, I do want to make a point of because I'm starting to get narked with this. <laughs> Give the guy a bit of time. Jesus Christ. I mean, he's come over here for half the price of Moise Caicedo, half the price of Declan Rice. Yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, he is... 
absolute quality and needs time to to bed in not not every player is fortunate enough to hit the ground running and just you know and and do what um bruno did do what isaac's done um and let's not forget as well bruno wasn't introduced in the team straight away bartman wasn't introduced into the team straight away tonali has because of injuries to willick because of yeah. injuries to joe linton um Give him a chance. He will prove himself to be a world-class, world-class centre midfielder. And uh, the midfield is starting to gel more. Yes, that's Sean Longstaff has aided that massively again. Where was he in the England squad? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, sorry to steal the point on Alex Isaac, who is yeah, he's just ace. No, I, th- I think it's a, it's a valid point, and I was gonna I was gonna ask you about Tonali because. I think the point you make there is crucial because I think if Eddie Howard had his wish and hadn't had the injury to Joe Linton or Joe Willick and Longstaff was maybe fit at the start of the season, I think we would have seen Tonali being eased in like we saw with Bruno 18 months ago. I don't think it was ever Howe's plan. And I mean, if anybody watched him in that Premier League Super Series or whatever it was called in the States, he looked well off the pace in the games he played over there and it looked like he was going to need a little bit of time to get up to speed. Now, yesterday... Again, you know, you can't judge everything off what people say on social media, but I thought it was very, very telling yesterday that just a little flick through Twitter on at half time and Tonali was really the scapegoat. A lot of people, you know, slating him, and I can see you shaking your head there for those who aren't watching with us live, but it does sort of feel like that. Is it is it because he's not a Bruno, he's not flashy, you know, he he just he doesn't do the things that grab the attention, or is it because as you say, he's maybe not up to speed. Why do you think he's now becoming the, the scapegoat for some of these performances? Is it just because he hasn't been that good? You say he's become a scapegoat, but things went wrong when he went off versus Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Th- things were going wrong after he'd been taken off. So um, I don't get... Uh, I don't get this nece- uh, this necessity to have a scapegoat in our squad every now and again. Whether it was whether it's Sean Longstaff, whether it, it's been Longstaff in the past, it's been Lascelles in the past, it's been Shelby in the past, it's been um, Almiron in the past, Joe Linton in the past. I just can't be doing with it. Um, look, it's cliche, but form is temporary, class is permanent, and we've said the Bruno. Bruno was going the same way at the start of the season as well, which I couldn't understand. One of the best players we'll ever see in our generation at Newcastle United. Oh. Mind blowing. Um, these players need sticking with, otherwise, we would have written off Anthony Gordon in the summer. We, we'd, we'd have written off Joe Linton and sold him like we did John Dahl Thomason all those years ago. Um, he will come good. I have zero doubt in my mind about that. You could say, okay, coming from Italian league, not playing with that level of intensity that we do, takes a hell of a lot getting used to. A hell of a lot. Um, Finding the balance in midfield is going to be key. Rotational-wise as well, he's been in and out of the side, which I don't think has been a bad thing. Because um, Elliot Anderson has has deserved his chance, and I think the left-hand side of the three, like Willock plays, is his, is his best position. Um, could Howard maybe swapped Tonali and Bruno over at the start of that season before reintroducing Longstaff? I would have liked to have seen it. Tonali sitting and then Bruno on the right of the three, which is where he was um, when he first joined in the, in the January, um, when Shelby was sat in front of the back four. I just, I just think there's, there's um, not enough patience 
um, which we really, really need to um, get used to. Because otherwise, players are just going to think, well, why bother? Because then the, one of the big draws of coming to Newcastle is the crowd. You don't want that to turn. And so that's one of the biggest drawbacks is that if you don't hit the ground running straight away, then you're not having it. There's not a lack of effort. He's not lazy. And Tonali as well is an unsung hero in Dan Burns' goal on Wednesday against PSG. Bruno is greedy and takes the shot from a stupid angle. Yeah. Um, and Tonali wins that ball back for Bruno to then cross in for Dan Byrne. Without Tonali, Dan Byrne's goal does not happen against PSG. For what it's worth, I thought he was very, very good against PSG. I thought it was one of his better performances, full of energy, full of running. I, I do think we're seeing glimpses of him. I think, as you mm. said, I thought Bruno was very good. He was fantastic in that 5-1 win at Villa, which I suppose everybody was. I think he's been getting there. I think, as you say, he's just going to need time. And I think coming over from Italy... More so than a lot of the leagues, you know, it's a completely different style of football over there. They're going to need time to settle. And, I mean, this, this conversation we're having is generating quite a little debate in the comments. We've got Ian saying, Tonali is a conductor. He's just getting used to the orchestra. Very good point. Philip says, Sam is spot on with Tonali. Different language, left his boyhood club and comes into the league three times faster. He needs time. Les agrees as well. JB says... Tonali doesn't need time to know that he should be all out blocking shots. It was Brighton and now West Ham. My Ironman says Tonali will be dropped when Jolin and his fit. He's miles off the pace, but I agree Tonali will probably come good after Xmas. Keep the comments coming in as always. On Tonali, and I think someone's made a very, very good point there, and you, and you are absolutely spot on with, with the patience aspect. And it's something that you know really irks me with sort of Monday football is how quickly things can turn. I mean, as you said, Bruno getting that stick at the start of the season. People have such short memories, but you've only got a point really to Anthony Gordon, who came to um, Newcastle in similar circumstances to Tonali. Big price tag, leaving his boyhood club under a little bit of a cloud. Brand new setup. I mean, coming to this Eddie Howe team, you need to be fit. You need to be a lot fitter than you are probably at Everton, probably at AC Milan. He is, he's the the example is need to follow that you just need to give these players a little bit of time to work under any help. Yeah. And I, 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 I wouldn't even use not to counter cause I'm agreeing with you, but to, to enhance your point um, for a, a kind of non Newcastle United one, you look at Man City, they yeah. signed, they signed Jack Grealish for a hundred million and he had a terrible first season. Terrible. It's whether you come from a different league or not, but Look, you're playing for a different manager, different style. You're not the big fish in the small pond anymore like Grealish was at Villa. Um, he could have, like, you know, fans would have been clamouring for him to be cut our losses, cut our losses with Grealish and, and, and sell him. But now look at him now, absolutely flying. And there are, there are loads of other examples in that as well. Um, I mean, half the players that have left Chelsea from like 10 years ago, De Bruyne, and, you know, all them, because they weren't given time and patience. Um, Chelsea wouldn't have had to have spent a billion pounds on no one um, had they had they done things properly, having that link between academy and first team. Um, yeah, there just needs to be a bit of patience and a bit of know-how and, and time is, is greatly needed. Um, I mean, look, Tonali next season could be 10 times the player he is for us at the moment. So there's still a lot more to look forward to. I just don't like, I don't like to see 
us getting on the backs of players um, because it's just so unwarranted from from where we were two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that sums it up absolutely perfectly. Just going back to the second half then of, of the West Ham game, and we'll go back to Alexander Isak. He had a very very good chance to potentially bag his hat trick, just denied by the post. And then in the last couple of minutes of the game, he was took off for Callum Wilson. I don't think Eddie Howe actually wanted to use Callum Wilson yesterday. He said in his post-match press conference, he was only there, really there for emergencies. But it does look like Alexander Isak's picked up um, a little injury knock, um, which he looks like he's been carrying for the last couple of games. I mean, surely what we want now is for him to pull out the Sweden squad and have yeah. two weeks on the sidelines at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, I, I want I want him out of the Sweden squad. I'd, I'd want um, Bru, uh, Bruno and Joe Linton out of the Brazil squad. I want Alron out of the Port uh, Portugal Paraguay squad. Uh, I don't want Botman anywhere near the Dutch squad. Uh, yeah, I don't want any of them going away. Um, but we we need them back and and fit ready for Crystal Palace and and back to back Dortmund, a League Cup away at Manchester United. Um, you know. We think this this has been relentless. It's it's going to continue when we come back from this international break again. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of players that are having a well-deserved rest. So hopefully Isaac has, is is just one of them that maybe I don't know who Sweden are down to be playing, but I'm sure I'm sure they can cope without them. It's uh, Moldova and um, Belgium. One of them slightly easier than the other, I think. Yeah, Belgium. Belgium have had it now. Anyway, they've had their golden era and couldn't do anything, so they'll be fine without Isaac for one week. Well, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he is pulled out and wrapped in cotton wool on Tyneside. Just obviously the end of the game, then Sam. Very, very disappointing to lose in such circumstances. They were so much better second half. West Ham, you know, barely getting out of their own half, and then what was it down to? Did, was it a lack of concentration? Was it a tired legs? Was it the changes or the lack of them? You know, was it just... I mean, let's not take anything away from Kudos's finishes. It was an absolutely fantastic goal, but yeah. very, very disappointing to lose it in, in such circumstances. Yeah, it is. Um, reminded me a bit of the, the Leeds game at the end of last season where a draw was probably a fair result, but we went down, we got back up to 2-1. Mm and just couldn't quite hold on. A bit annoying. Maybe there wasn't enough um, game management um, towards the end. Uh, I was surprised we didn't make a sub until was it the 80th minute or something like that. Um, and in the end, when West Ham got the winner, I think, Howe took, um, I think Eddie Howe took the point in bringing uh, Matt Target on um, for Elliot Anderson, which um, surprised me a little bit, I'm not going to lie. But when West Ham did get the equaliser, there was only one team winning it from there, and it, and it wasn't us. Mm -hmm. um, we'd completely gone. So it's it's always frustrating when when you lose a lead late on. Um, but on the balance of it, I think a draw is a fair result, and I don't think this season going to West Ham and getting a point is a bad result at all. No, I would agree with you. I think that, I mean, it's it's weird looking at their team. A lot of very good players. I mean, that Kudus, I know he only came off the bench, but he looks a real talent. Very, very surprised to see a West Ham team sitting so far back at home when they've got those types of attacking players. Um, for me, I think yesterday you go to that game pre-match and someone offers you a draw, I think you'd take it. Ian McKenna's just completely agreed with that point. As I said it, he would have taken it before the game. I think if you'd then said to people at half-time, you're going to leave with a point, I think they would have taken it. it was just yes, please. 
it was just the manner of the, of the way that they they did so well to get ahead, and, and then and then threw it away. I mean, we we spoke about Nick Pope at the top of the episode. Without him and that you know last minute save from Bowen, yeah. which you know, I probably forgotten until I watched the highlights this morning. You know that is that's the game. You know not winning save, but it, it keeps Newcastle United walking away with a point. So I think I think on on reflection, the draw is probably a fair result. And I think for me, it was just get the players sent off now for two weeks. I just think, you know, give them a break, manage to get some of these players back that that they've been missing these one hundred and fifty million pound worth of talent, and then you know go ahead for go again for Palace after break. Before I let you go, Sam, I just want to talk a little bit more about about Wednesday. Such a fantastic evening as. Me and you ran into each other just outside the stadium before kickoff. That atmosphere was building, and I mean, for those who weren't there and weren't, weren't fortunate to get tickets, just summing up what it was like for you being in that that game and watching a performance like that. I I don't know. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. It didn't seem real. And some parts still don't. And like some of the some of the goals, it was like an out of body experience. I was I was I was in the leases. Um, so obviously the, the goals in the first half were down my end. And I, I do have to say I knew straight away Dan Burns' goal was it was a goal. There was, mm-hmm. there was I don't even understand why it took so long because it felt like an hour. Uh-huh. Um, it was it was <laughs> such an obvious goal. Um, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever witnessed, and like I was at, like the only thing that comes close to that from a Newcastle standpoint was I was at the the five one derby. Uh, that's the only thing that gets remotely close, and and it, it did eclipse it for me because of the level of the level of opposition we were facing. Um, I mean, I have my views about some of the some of the PSG players, and like obviously some of them are just massively overrated. Um, Usman Dembele is stealing a living. <laughs> I, I just don't get it with him. Yes, he's fast, but my word, you take his pace away, you're left with a bang average player. Um, the four-two-four they played was just mind-numbingly thick um, on that half. But like Jamal Lascelles putting a couple of smashing. Mm-hmm. Um, Slide tackles on Mbappe, who clearly doesn't want to be at PSG. Um, the two in midfield did all right because there was only two of them, but then that allowed our spare to get across and help cover our wing backs. And Tonali could help burn, um, Longstaff could help Trippier, and, and, and so on and so forth. And I think with that night and that crowd, and obviously PSG played their, their part, obviously been in the leases, I, I could hear them a lot, and mm-hmm. um, their drummer. Mm. Um, yeah, he was there with like full face masks on and like balaclavas. Yeah, yeah, and they had a little yappy chap um, conducting that all there singing. So it was a proper European atmosphere. It threatened to kick off outside going in as well, but it was mm. something. It was something to witness. It's a proper European game. Obviously, all the the. Um, uh, all the all the, the the Champions League decoration was around uh, St James's Park. St James's Park suits that decor a hell of a lot more than than tacky blue and red sports shop regalia um, tat. But it just 
everything on that night just added up to 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 Newcastle United being unbeatable. Doesn't matter who we played that night, we would have won. And it was a special night. That's going to go down in history. My lad is going to tell his kids about that night, just like I tell him now about the five nil Man United, the three two Barcelona, and you know them them sort of games. I I, I just. I'm so humbled to be, to be there to witness it, and it, it's obviously a day that will stay with me forever. And I, I've put it the best I can, but I, I still feel like I haven't done it justice. I feel like I feel like no amount of words could do it justice. It, JB's made a very good point here in the comments that it was the best atmosphere in his 50 years supporting Newcastle, including the days in the old Leeds Ascend. And for me, I spoke about this with Andrew last week. I always used to go on about. You know, so the yeah, the days we've had under Howe and that Arsenal game when we beat them at St James's Park in Howe's first season, stopped them getting the Champions League. That was for me proper, you know, only Cass United, St James's Park under the lights. But that PSG game just blew it out of the water. I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if I'll ever see anything like that ever again. I mean, they could go and beat Dortmund 5 0, and I still don't think it would be as good as what we saw against PSG. No, because you had so many, so many other elements in that as well. Um, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm dropping names, left, right, and centre. But I, I remember before the season started, I was talking to Henry Winter on our podcast, and and he made the point that St James is all right. The atmosphere is fantastic. It's special. It's but it's all a bit. It was all a bit still nicey nicey for the opposition. Wow, this is big. Oh, this is this is ace. Brilliant. Great. It hadn't got that intimidating factor. But the fact is, on that night, we're cheering every tackle, every 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 uh, tracking down, close down, every... Because Donnarumma as well was practising. Um, they were doing triangles, which I noticed before the game, which made me think, oh, they have actually done their homework. So they had the backup keeper, the goalkeeping coach, in a triangle with Donnarumma and his goal, and they were practising. One was passing to him, the other was chasing him down and closing him down. So okay. he was practicing in kind of preparation for our press. Mm-hmm. Waste of time, but you know, it, it's still, um, the, the crowd can make a difference. And it was an intimidating European atmosphere. PSG fans played their part, but I don't expect the Gal- guys in the Gallagher, the lads and lasses in the Gallagher would have heard them. You heard them in the Leases, and I just thought, oh, I'm going to get things thrown at me here. <laughs> but, um, but wasn't very well behaved once they got in there the noise they generated was fantastic as well it was just it was just perfect it was it was a perfect evening i feel like nothing nothing really could have topped it it just wets the appetite more for for those last two games at home hopefully you can get a ticket for those as well Um, we shall see but i have my flights booked for dortmund good and i i know so many people already that aren't even planning to get a ticket they're not even going to try they're just going over there a couple of days around Düsseldorf and Dortmund to soak up that atmosphere. So I'm sure you're not alone. Sam, just before I let you go, now that we're sort of, you know, we're in the second international break of the season, Newcastle have played seven or eight games, they've had a couple of Champions League games under their belt. What does this season hold? What are they going to do? What do you think that they're capable of doing this season? Do they have the squad to fight on four fronts and give them all a good go? No, because on four fronts, I think we will struggle to get Champions League next season. Um, I, I don't want to speak too soon and I don't want to jinx things because I do genuinely believe we will make it out of the group now in the Champions League. 
Um, look, we, we win our home games for free. Yeah. Um, but I really don't want to jinx that because l- let's not get away from the fact that there's, we've still got two very, very good teams to play. We've got to go. We've got to go to Old Trafford, which we've, whatever's happening with them and their form and and their fans, their ownership, their players, their manager, whatever. We've still got a horrendous record there. There's no two ways about it. Had that draw been at home, I'd have fancied us to absolutely batter them like we did last season. And the scoreline of, of 2-0 is, reflects still very favourably on them. Um, the FA Cup in the second half of the season, that, that could be key um, because we might not be in the League Cup. We, we might not be in the Champions League. We could be in the Europa League. We don't know. Um, but I still think it's going to be a very, very exciting season on all four fronts. Um, but unfortunately, Aaron, that's not where we leave it because a little birdie has told me you end the show with some trivia. Oh, wow. So Andrew's got in touch, has he? Oh, go on then, bring it on. I thought I had a week off, but we'll take it. We'll take it. He messaged me this morning. Um, <laughs> so, Newcastle United have had 39 players to have had an England camp. Oh, my God. I'm not going to get you to name all 39. Okay, good. But we're going to go from Supermac in 1972. Mm-hmm. Since then, there have been 21 players to represent the three Lions. Okay. Can you name them? So the Newcastle United players that have represented England since Supermac, and there's been 21. Correct, Amundo. Okay, right. 21. I'm going to have to get my pad and paper here. Right. We'll, we'll start with the obvious. We'll go Alan Shearer. Yes. Uh, we will go for Kieran Trippier. Yes. Callum Wilson. Yes. Nick Pope. Uh-huh. Um, Andy Carroll. Yeah. Um... Anybody in the comments, please feel free to help me because I think 21 is going to be... Can, can I just say, yes, it's a lot, but they're, they're, they're all quite gettable. Okay, okay, that's good. So we're, we're, we're five or six and we'll go Kieran Dyer. Yeah. Jermaine Genus. Yeah. Hang on, a little, uh, just a question. Is this, they've got their caps while playing for Newcastle or they've just played for Newcastle? Do you know and- what? I thought, I thought the same and I... I, I don't think all of them got their caps whilst at Newcastle, judging okay, by right. one of the answers. No problem. In, in that sense, we'll go with Mike Lowen. Yeah. Um, David Batty. Yes. Um, I have David Batty on the back of... I have Batty 4 on the back of the 97, the 97 98 Newcastle shirt when we were last in the Champions League before Sir Bobby. Uh, we'll, we'll stick around that era. We'll go Rob Lee. Yeah. Um, Stuart Pierce. Not on the list, which makes me th- which makes me think because it's you're right, obviously. But maybe yeah. they had an England cap when. Um... Okay. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm going to give you Stuart Pierce anyway because since, since we don't know the rules, I'll just I'll just throw a, a load out. We'll go Les Ferdinand. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate. Yeah. Um, Paul Gascoigne. No. Okay, so it's it's definitely going to be players that have had it at Newcastle. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris Waddle. Yes. Have I said Jermaine Genus? You have. I have. Okay. Um, 
how many are, how many am I on here? Right. So ones that you haven't said that I haven't ticked off on the list I've been given by Musgrove. Yeah. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight left. Okay. Okay, that's not bad going. Um Peter No, you've done very well. Peter Beardsley? Yes. Um Nicky Butt? Sure. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I thought that might be a little bit beyond his time. Um, Warren Barton? Yes. Right. I think that's where I'm going to call it a day. So you, you no, can you can, no, no, there's, there's, there's obvious ones you haven't got yet. If I said to you, Euro 96. Um... Gonna need more. Oh, um, Steve Howie. Yes. There we go. We're getting there. So four left. I'm gonna dive in. I'm gonna dive in the comment for for a few and see if anybody can help me out. Somebody said John Steele said James Milner. That's not on the list. Um, Roger Cook has said Lee. But Bowie. again, yes, they played for Newcastle. Yeah. England. We'll go off your list. Roger Cook says Lee Bowyer. No. Uh, Niall says Andy Cole. Not sure if I've said him already. No. Um, to coin a phrase, says Barnes. No. But, and if I get pelters in the comments, this is Andrew Musgrove's yeah, list, not uh, in, mine. In any abuse that you've got at it. So, so I'll, I'll tell you where I got confused, right? Because I was like you getting the England cap whilst at Newcastle. Yeah. So the one that threw me off that's on this list is Alan Smith. Okay. Because I don't think he got capped by England whilst he was at Newcastle. Because yeah. for, for, for large amounts, sorry, Alan, if you're listening, he was rubbish. He was, he was awful at Newcastle, wasn't he? But you can imagine him getting a lot of call-ups at Leeds on my United. Yeah, so that's that's the name that kind of threw me a little bit. Okay. Um, so you've got one, two, three left. Um, Billy says Keegan. No. Somebody is... So said... one, right, I'll give you a clue for all three. Uh, one's a former Premier League manager, one's now at a contract and doing punditry, and one was in Mike Bassett, England manager. Um, Glenn Roder? No. No. No, that, uh, you're going to have to put me out of misery here. I think that's a very good effort, 18 out of 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the former Premier League manager, Scott Parker. Okay, good show. The, the ex-player now pundit, Andros Townsend. Show. And star of Mike Bassett, England manager Barry Venison. Very, very good effort, and thank you to everybody in the comments for for your um, guest there. And thank and you to Ian who says Andrew Musgrove is a charlatan and a fraud. So any any complaints, please direct all criticism to Andrew Musgrove at Reach PLC. Yeah, that's absolutely that is his email address, and he probably won't thank me when he. Check his emails on a holiday, and he's got just an angry list of people saying, um, "Well, we're doing this conversation." But thank you very much, Sam, for for hosting the trivia. Thank you very much for filling in this week. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, for anybody who doesn't know where to find you, please let them know. 
Newcastle Fans TV on YouTube. Um, we've also got the audio podcast, The Greenwood and Mullen, the show on Newcastle Fans TV, which is on a little bit of a hiatus now. But there's over a hundred and fifty shows of all interviews with Newcastle fans, such as James Bay. Alan Shearer and you know loads loads past players legends and yeah people famous people so yeah it's all good brilliant go and check them out if you haven't already thank you very much Sam for joining us thank you very much for watching this Facebook live or if you're listening later we'll be back later this week um, with myself and John Gibson as Andrew enjoys his holiday thanks very much for watching and we'll speak to you very very soon